The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Empower yourself and get inspired to build the life of your dreams. Welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Welcome to Everyday Peace. I am super excited to have you here with us today while we explore the concept of living a life of peace every day. Peace defined as wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. Now, I want you just to imagine right now where you are in this moment that you're living in this bubble of everyday peace because, yes, it is possible to have peace every day. And yes, you can have peace every day. Yes, you deserve peace every single day. Wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. And we work together here on this show to bring you the topics and the guests to partner with you as you create your life of peace every day. And right now, I want to tell you that if you have any filmmaker friends, any creative friends, if you yourself are creative, this is going to be an amazing show today. We have film um, film director, creator, composer, editor, producer, Mr. Jack of all trades, as he calls himself, Mr. James H. Howell Jewell III, James H. Jewell III. He is a poet, rambling man, sing-songwriter, and sometimes slave to the big system, I love that, to make a buck. He and his wife, Cara, have been nomadic wanderers from, from their native hills of Pennsylvania, They've gone to Nashville, Los Angeles, Toronto, Paris, France, and are now in my hometown of Chicago. Um, they have created an amazing, amazing film that we're going to be talking about today. Um, and the other Paris, I'm I'm excited. I, I I'm reading this bio and I'm looking at his picture, and the whole thing gives me this. Um, I don't want to say nostalgic, but maybe nostalgic. And I can't say nostalgic from Paris because I've only been to Paris once. But I just feel this zen-like energy because you have James. And welcome to the show, James. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's so nice to be here. It's so great to have you. And I wanted to say you have this energy. We've talked um, previously and watched. I've watched your work, this particular film, a number of times, once by myself and in the company of other crowds of people. And the whole thing is warm and cozy to me. So I'm excited to talk to you. We're going to start off with your adventure because you say you're a nomadic and I've talked to you. And yes, you are. (laughs) You're courageous. (laughs) And um, this film is delightful. So before we get into you 
all together. Give us a little teaser. Tell us about the film. Well, um, my wife and I were um, at the nomadic phase of living in Los Angeles, um, and uh, we were there. I had a job um, that was manual labor, and it was good. It was it was it was good, but it was uh, uh, it was some heavy duty labor that. Like my back, I was having troubles with my back, and and Cara was on leave from work, and we were struggling to kind of survive in a big city. As you, as you know, people that live in the big city don't need any explanation about that. And um, she got a call from her family company uh, asking if she wanted to spend three months uh, in Paris working for someone who was taking a break uh, as. If, if you know anything about the French culture, it's perfectly acceptable to take three months off from work at any time almost. <laughs> it's like it's not like in the U.S. Uh, so she was taking a sabbatical, um, this person, and Cara was invited to do it. And she looked at me and said, you wouldn't want to move to Paris, would you? And I remember I my back was hurting that day, and, and um, you know... Uh, I thought to myself, yeah, let's go. So we went, and it turned into six months, which turned into eight years. And um, I had been doing some documentary work and some other film work, and uh, but I was mostly writing and playing music while I was in Paris. And But when it came time to go, um, my wife was really determined to make a documentary about our experience there. And I said, well, it's now or never. So we, we kind of knew only about two months in advance. And I actually stayed longer. Car moved to Chicago. And I actually stayed longer. And I just filmed every everything I could. And anyone who was willing to sign a release form and talk to me. Um, and then uh, we came back here with all the footage and edited it. So I don't know if that answers your question. Um, it's the short answer. Yes, yeah, the short answer because we're going to get into a whole lot of detail about some other Paris, the film, because it is an amazing film, uh, and I encourage everyone you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, it is amazing. It, I think it does for me what it did for a lot of the people that I w- watched it with is it opened us up to beauty in the time of this uncertainty that there was this the world is bigger than just our little pocket of problems right and so you open up a little bit and you get to see and experience the world through other people and to know that you and your wife had the courage to hop on a plane you're living in LA now I gotta ask you I I know your wife you said your wife had family over there so she spoke French no um her her family business um and this is as is actually kind of an interesting uh, topic because her family business um, is a dessert company here in the U.S., but they sell worldwide. So when we tell people that, uh, so she went over to expand the expand the company in France, and the joke is that why are you bringing desserts to the French? <laughs> don't they, don't they know how to make their own desserts? I mean, they're famous for their food. Um, so, uh, yeah, so basically they have people in France, uh, 
uh, developing their business, and that's what she went over there for. So they, she didn't have anybody in her, uh, in her family other than the fact that her father has spent a lot of time in Paris and loves Paris. Um, so she immediately, when we were in L.A. and she got the job, she, she took serious French lessons for two months. And, I mean, it was, it was grueling. And then she went over there and she said, and then she, she, when she arrived in Paris, she still felt like she could barely speak anything. And then it took her quite a while. And now she is conversational in French, whereas I can, you know, I mean, I can order a croissant and an omelet, but, you know, my, my French is terrible. Wow. Now, I, I, I've been in France a very, very small period of time. I took French in high school. That doesn't really count. But I remember um, being able to read a little bit here and there. But we did encounter, in our short time there, people who did not speak English. Did you encounter that a lot while you were there? Uh, we did. We did. And, um, you know, I found that for me personally – I learned, I learned some polite phrases uh, and how to kind of order and how to kind of get by in French. So I had enough French to get by in. And as long as I went in, the big thing about the French, this is a trick out there for anybody who is going to go to France. As long as you can say hello, thank you, and goodbye in French, you're going to be ahead of the game because if you walk into a place and say bonjour, they you are way ahead of the game. They appreciate it so much if you say, and then if you say thank you, they're, they're, they just appreciate it and they'll get, they'll cut you a break much easier <laughs> if you don't speak French. If you at least say hello, good day, and thank you. So I learned oh, that, that early, and then yeah. um, I also um, if if I went into a place that didn't speak French, I kind of faked it and I knew enough to get by and I enjoyed kind of submerging myself into into cafes and stuff where they didn't speak any English but I could also find cafes where they were actually kind of excited to speak some English and practice their English so oh, I depending I on that. depending on the day and I, I you know after living there eight years you know where you know which places you can go to where they won't, won't give you a dirty look um, about not speaking French but yeah. they're very funny about that. I mean, we had a plumber come over, and he gave me so much grief about not speaking French. And I was like, oh, just fix my plumbing. <laughs> well, we, we Americans can do that. You know, uh, you know you're yeah. here, Oh, yeah, speak, absolutely. You know, speak, speak the language. So, you know, and, and I did tell my kids, when our, you know, we had our little tour book. We were doing the best that we can. We had a great time, and people were very, very kind to us. But, you, you know, you don't hear that. I think if you follow the stereotypes, they tell you that France is one of the most difficult places because they're not tolerant of people who don't speak the language. But I definitely did not find that to be so. But I really want to talk right. to you about this. Since, you know, when I spoke to you the first time, the thing I told you that really stuck out for me is that this sense of adventure and the the idea, the concept that if you – um, want to learn how to swim you're going to have to get wet and I love that about you know here you are in LA I mean it's one thing to move from you know Pennsylvania to Nashville right it's quite another thing right. to pick up and say yep moving to Paris tomorrow <laughs> right and so, you know if yeah I mean if you think yeah I uh if you think too much about it it's going to be it's going to be difficult, and I mean, I I think that we are for. I think that it's not 
I don't want to give too much credit to our uh, bravery or our sense of adventure, although I think we do have that. I also think that um, we have a um, sort of, I don't know, a blind faith or something like that, or just or just like, uh, you know, we kind of like jump in, you know, before without looking sometimes. So, I mean, I also think it's a look, sometimes I think we're just, um, I, I don't know what the, what the word is to use. I don't want to say foolhardy, but we're just like, okay, let's do this. And we don't really think, like we found out a whole bunch of stuff in about how difficult it was going to be, especially getting our visas and all of that that may have slowed us down um, if we had known about them. So sometimes it's good not to know too much before you before yeah, you leap. I, I um, agree with that. I, you can research yourself right into staying in the same position that you're in literally for the right. rest of your life. If you look at all that's of the details, of you, you know, if you look at all of the details and you think you try to get every step figured out, you really will paralyze yourself saying, you know, there's no way I could do it. And, I, and I'm, you know, I have this part of my brain, which is very linear. Like I really want things in order. And I try mm-hmm. to silence that part of my brain as much as possible because I realize that's when I get stuck. That's when I'm looking for so much detail. And there's the other side of my brain that's saying, if you don't just jump in the pool already, you know, get going, I'll, I'll get you where you need to go. I just need you to get in the pool. So I applaud right. you guys for getting in the pool and you get over into Paris. Your wife starts working with an American dessert company selling desserts in Paris. And I don't, you know, I, I know that uh, my kids and I were in Paris. The desserts looked so, so good, but they didn't have even 50% of the sugar content <laughs> that my right. kids were accustomed to. They were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if they had to adjust that recipe and get that sugar down. Well, you know, this is, I think this is why the American, I think American desserts are popular over there. They, because. <laughs> You know, they're the chocolate chip cookie, the apple pie, the um, cheesecake even, um, and, um, you know, uh, carrot cake, which they, uh, you know, they had to, like, be, they had to, like, go to carrot cake school to learn how to eat that because they were like, this makes no sense to have carrots in a cake. This is, this is not right. And as soon as they tasted it, they were like, ooh la la, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, but yeah, it was the American desserts that were different, that stuck out. I think that's why they saw, they were they were easy to sell over there is because nothing like apple pie, nothing like a piece yeah. of apple pie, you know, so. We, um, we, do, but, uh, yeah. we, do, we do desserts just as here. They do presentation beautifully there, though. So you get there and you so you're there these whole eight years, you know, six months turns into eight years. And during right. those eight years, and you're meeting all these creative people in the film, and we're going to get to that part uh, shortly. But during the eight-year process, were you thinking, well, we need to get together and start putting a movie together, start doing a documentary on this time period? I mean, I know, of course, you didn't know you'd be there eight years, but even on a three-month um, junket into into Paris, being a filmmaker, being, you know, having the background that you both had, did, was that part of your thought, well, we'll make a... We'll make a film out of our experience. Um, we, it, it actually was not. What, what happened was is when we were in Los Angeles, um, we filmed a web series and I was working for, when I was in the U.S., um, I, I had a small business making um, commercials, video commercials for corporations. So it wasn't like 
things that you would see on YouTube or on, you know, I would do product videos or I would do videos. So I learned how to make films. I learned how to make, make videos. I learned about the gear and I learned how to edit. And then when we moved, so I was kind of getting good at that before we moved to Paris. But when we moved to Paris, I have to say, um, that I was inspired to write and play music, especially writing, because there's a huge writing community there. And they're very supportive. So I was able to, you know, one of my dreams was to write a novel, another was to write some poetry. I was able to do that pretty much like within the first couple of years because the community around me, they were just like, you just, what do you mean you want you want to write something? Just do it. We, let, come back next week. We want to see four poems. Come on. You know, so I was like, okay. And um, so the encouragement and the community, I mean, you can't, you can't underscore the importance of community uh, for an artist or for somebody who's being creative because, um, you know, unto yourself, it is, you need, you need encouragement. Um, I know that I can speak for myself. It's, it can be, you can, you know, for the, all of my insecurities, um, I don't know if that's natural in artists in general, but many artists have this insecurity, um, maybe because their, their mind is open and sensitive and, or, or whatever. Um, but I, the community there really encouraged me to do that. And then towards when we found out we were leaving, um, I had, we had all of this camera equipment that we, we brought with us from Los Angeles and we hadn't done a whole lot with it. We had, we had done a little bit with it, but then, um, I was like, we were heartbroken to leave and we were like, well, what are we going to do, uh, in honor of, of this eight year? How can we, what can we do to encapsulate it? And we, and Cara had been wanting to do the documentary. And so I was like, that's, that's the answer. So we're going to, and to be quite frank, I was, uh, I was intimidated by the, by the idea of making my, you know, our first feature length film. So I was like, you know what, we're going to film it and we're going to film for two months. And if it seems like we're going to put it together and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, <laughs> but we're going to give it a try. So that was a little bit like, Again, it was sort of like the decision to move to Paris. We're like, you know, we're going to give it a try. We're not going to we're not going to place the world, you know, the weight of the world on it. Uh, and if it if it comes together, then it comes together. Um, and when we got back to the U.S., we actually needed to film some more, and we just called our friends in Paris and had them do some filming for us and send us the footage. So, um, so yeah, it was very. Uh, um, seat of the pants is, I don't know the term. I was very, uh, last Spontane minute, yeah. but we're, we're very happy with, we're very happy with the outcome. Yeah. And I would say that there is no part of the film that screams first feature length film. Not, I mean, it's, it's just beautifully oh, flows. So and nice it's just, you're, you're welcome. It's, it's really, um, a well-deserved compliment because it is entertaining to the very end 
and every person that you talked with and every response you just really captured their enthusiasm and there were a lot of interesting things i don't want to give too much away about the film i want people to really really watch the film you will explore uh, you'll get to explore some wonderful parts about uh, paris but i think some of the talking just made in the way that it was filmed and the discussions as they flowed opened up ideas about my own life, my own thought patterns about the country that I'm so privileged to live in and call home. Yep. And uh, it, that became, and we'll talk about that probably in the next in the segment of this show, but it, that was part of the uh, focus point of the people that watched the film with me. It made them feel some, you know, spark some conversation. But I want to go to this point about the importance of community, because I do believe that it, our worlds, whether you're living in a creative world, we're always creating, whether your world is the arts, you're creating that way, or you're creating at home with children, or you're creating in corporate corporate America or in the healthcare field, we're always creating. But that comment that you made about the importance of community, and community does challenge us. I heard you say, they would say, what do you mean you want to write? Go, go home, come back next week with four poems. And that and as an artist myself that's this uh, creative challenge right so we get this challenge and for those who are listeners who are listening today who may not be in the arts necessarily i want to tell you what that looks like that those are challenges that show up in our everyday life right that's that's the car breaking down or a new yep. project at work when you don't have a big enough team to take it on and you being having this community around you that says i believe you can do it because guess what? Your job may depend on you getting it done or your family's, yep. you know. So, but this is this is what happens. And it's sort of like they say, art imitates life or life imitates art. But this one big circle that we can learn from is that we, challenges are meant to encourage us. They're meant to encourage us to go to the next level. And if you can right. get some real live people on your team just to listen to you at one point in your film where you have with, where they are holding the, the readings in the bookstore there. And right. I love I love to do readings as an artist, you know, to do those um, readings. But I really felt a sense of community and uh Life is better if you can do it with at least one other person. It doesn't have to be intimate, but just somebody that you can bounce your ideas off of. So I, I got I got that from the film, and I and I get that from this conversation that we're having today. You know, talking about some other Paris, but it could be some other any place really to me. That's how open the film was. I know they talked you talked a lot about Paris, and we have a few minutes so before the break. I want to make sure that we don't hit that break, and I don't want to um, stop an important in midst of an important discussion, but there was a point in the film where you were speaking to all of these different people and you asked this one question that was very, very intimidating to me, but how many languages do you speak? <laughs> and boy, <laughs> people were rattling off so many languages, which I found yeah. that in Europe, they speak a lot of languages. Yeah, I mean, you know, I since I really only speak English, um, it, in, it was so inspiring to me. And I started taking, uh, t I took two months of French right at the end before we found out we were moving to Chicago. And it, I took two months, actually, no, I only took one month. It was a two month course and I cut it short because we were, we, we were moving. So, but I took one month of five days a week, four hours a day. 
And I just, after the end of the month, I finally started to learn some French. But the thing that blew me away was how many languages they they spoke and how it wasn't a big deal that they spoke those languages. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, four, 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 four and a half. And, 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 you know, and I read Mandarin or something. It's like, okay. <laughs> so, yes. you know, it was so inspiring. Uh, that was such an inspiring question for me to ask as an American. Um, a lot of them over there were like, well, why are you asking this? Everybody speaks a bunch of languages. I mean, that's just the way. And I'm like, no, you, just, you don't understand. You know, this is like, this is, is such a, a cool, it's kind of a cool milestone question just of the difference between um, people from the U.S. and people from Europe. Of course, they live next to each other and speak different languages, so that helps. But, you know, yeah. you're only like 50 miles away from somebody who speaks Dutch or, you know, you know, 100 miles from someone who speaks uh, a different language. So that does encourage you. You might have an aunt or uncle who speaks a different language or even a different a family member. So that does help people to learn other languages so they they have an unfair advantage but um it that was impressive yeah yeah that was very very impressive and another thing maybe we can touch on just before we go to break is there i got the well i didn't get the impression it was it was blatantly put out there like a lot of people had a strong desire to be in paris you know that came across really strong in the film and uh, that they, you know, Paris is a lot of things, as you point out in the film, and as I found from my exper experience, it one thing it is not is cheap. I found it to be right. very expensive. Paris is very, yep. very expensive. And, yep. um, you know, we talked about uh, gas prices. I think we talked about that before we came on, on the show, show. Oh, yeah. And we'll go into about the protests in, the, in, in, in a bit, but it is expensive to be there. That being the case, people not being able to get uh, work visas and all this, what is the pull pull for so many people to have this strong desire? What do you think it is? Why is it that you know without um, a job what, I, they want to be in I Paris? have an answer. Yeah, I have an I have an answer for that. I don't know if it's my I have a theory about that, which is um, basically there is a uh, a community in Paris. Um, and I think it has an expat community in particular, and I think it has it might have to do with the fact that the expat the expat community is smaller, and it's just historically there to be an artist, uh, a, a painter, a theater writer, uh, a, a writer, um, a performer, and so that when you get over there, it's just I think it's a history of people being creative and supporting creative people. But on top of that, because it's an expat community, it's a small community within Paris. So you have the large city, but then you have the expat community. And so it's a small, tight-knit community. Oh, we're, gonna, uh, we're, we're going to okay. we're gonna come back and we're going to talk about why Paris. Why Paris? We were talking okay. some other Paris with our filmmaker, James Jewell, today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Create and build the life of your dreams. Welcome back to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Welcome back to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James and our fabulous guest today. We have filmmaker James Jewell with us today. We're discussing his new film, Some Other Paris, an amazing film. And guess what? You can see it on YouTube, the entire film. I encourage you, pop your own popcorn, sit back, relax, be swept away, go to Paris for a day, and uh, just really enjoy the film. Before we went to break, we were talking about why, and you'll get this in the film if you watch it, why so many people, especially creative types who are in the art, just long to be in Paris no matter what. That's where they want to go. And you were just in the middle of telling us why they just have to be there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's. Uh, I guess it's a bit of a mystery, but I mean, if I had, my theory, as I was saying before, was that you have the small community of the expat art, artistic uh, community inside of a large city with all of the pluses and struggles of a big city so that you have the small community which is less intimidating and very encouraging um and they are just determined to produce their art no matter what no even if and they're not they don't really think too much about the industry of it so to compare it with Los Angeles for sure would be um, that Los Angeles is about the industry as a filmmaking industry, as a music industry, whereas Paris, they have a little bit, and in France in general, has a little bit of an anti-industry uh, feel about it, where it's like you go you make you you write some poetry and you go out on a Saturday night and you read it to uh, 25 or 30 of your friends in a cafe and you sit there afterwards and you have a couple of drinks and a coffee and you just tell each other how great it was to hear them read their poetry and you you don't think about am I going to make any money on this you think you just are just so grateful that these people were were listening to your expressions and not judging you know i mean although don't get me wrong there are there there are times of judgment and there is you know there's some moments where um people have disagreements um especially on the content of their poetry um and then slam poetry is a huge community over there too um and um so yeah, so I don't know if that if that explains it, but that is definitely something that I miss. Like even when our friends, my, we had a friend come to Chicago um, when we first moved here, and she said, you know, people are like, oh, that's great. So you're a musician. So what are you doing with? It? Are you making a record? Are you when are you going to sell your record? How you know how much do you think you're going to make? Yeah, or are you going to make a living? And in Paris, that's just not that's not part of the conversation. Um, the conversation is, are you developing your art? Are you making your art? Um, and also, I don't know how much it has to do with the fact that they have socialized medicine, so nobody has to worry about health insurance. Um, 
in France. Right. And, and, I, so. and I get that. And it sounds like to me when I when you were talking about, you know, the commitment to the art, it sounds a lot like and I'm in the Maryland, Baltimore area, community theater, it, whereas right. uh, community theater is a place where, you know, not all of its expression, but is most concerned with not making the big bucks, but really having this authentic. Authentic voice of the artist, right. right? And that's what kind of I got from the film is that this is a voice. You have something burning inside of you that you want another human with a heartbeat to hear, and and right. not so much for them to agree or disagree, but just the he- the hearing of your or the viewing of your craft. Just having it land on another person's ears or having them view it is validation enough. They could sit there and rip it apart, but just that you get it out into the into the world is validating. And maybe to do it in such a a, a, a well-established place as Paris, because we think about Paris. community theater. I think is a very good example um, of what we're talking about, and I think that's because uh, nobody goes into community theater thinking that they're going to get rich, thinking that they're going to make money. And I think that, like, uh, with music uh, and with novel writing and with, um, uh, you know, with, with music and with writing um, and with some other, other types of art, there is an opportunity to make money. And there are some people who have gotten very rich so that you have that in the back of your mind. But community theater, I know, I know that... Uh, I was involved in some in some theater, and it's just not there because they just know that that's not what it's all about. So it's you kind of give in to that, and you're like, I'm doing this out of love, and I'm not doing this. Um, so I think that that you know that's a really good example of. But in Paris, for sure, um, I think they have more of that view across the creative arts, where it's like, as long as you're making it. Um, you don't have to think further than that. As long as you're making it and revising it and working on it and improving it, you know, that's what it's all about. If somebody picks it up or if you get published and make some money, that's, that's great. But that's not, that's not what it's all about. I have, I still have that problem. I mean, I still look, I'm just, I'm still looking for ways to make a couple dollars uh, with my art, but um, you know, uh, obviously you, you have to, as soon as you start doing that, you have to start looking at, okay, what will sell? And then that affects what you're making. So right, and, and I and I get that because here in the states, as being the only place I ever really lived and worked, it is frowned upon, at least in lots of segments of our population, it is frowned upon that you would decide to be a starving artist and it's irresponsible, considered to be right. irresponsible. You know, you are really supposed to be this productive member contributing to the tax system, right? And but the arts contribute in such a uh, phenomenal way. We all know that we, a lot of times we want to make great references to something. We use the arts to do that. So we know that they do contribute. But I see, in, you know, through the film that there is almost a, a reverence for people who make this decision that they are going to to commit to their art in such a way. Now, and I do believe what you said, socialization, socialized medicine, probably pays a big part and that three months three yeah. months off <laughs> that you can get you said that earlier yeah. in the show that 
you can get three months off your job. So basically, if you can get some roommates or if you got someone who can help you finance your bills, your job yeah. is secure. You can take three months off and write or explore your your yeah. craft here in the United States. You can get probably two weeks strung together. And you know, yep. after that, you, you got to get back to the grind. So there's a difference. We do have a caller on the lines. I want to just pick our caller up here. Oh, excellent. And let's see here. Hello. Welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Draymond James and our fabulous guest today, James Jewell. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Another great show, Dr. James. Oh, I'm loving it. So I have a, a question. Usually the questions I ask I relate to improvement and all sorts of stuff because you have great guests. But my question today is since you have a filmmaker who has worked in Europe, I'm always curious as to why, and at least it appears to me and other people, that European television, particularly British television, is so much better than American television. I, I was wondering if your guest um, has had people ask him questions like that or if he thinks that that's the case. I certainly think that's the case. I just want to listen to what his answer is. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a um, great question. Yeah, I uh, I definitely um, have have felt that way. Now I don't know if that's changing, um, and that there's more, uh, you know that it that British television um, and French television I'm not as sure about because I don't uh, speak French. But um, right. yeah, I I think that there's less channels, and that some of them are. Um, like the BBC, it's the national television uh, channel, and they have they have stricter rules about uh, what can be, you know, what can be uh, put out there and what can't be. And I think that the oh, and because there's less um, less of it, the standards I think have to be higher um, in order to. But I'm not a hundred percent sure why that is. But I've I felt the same way as you do. Okay. Yeah, great. I was just wondering. The acting seems so much better, and I was just wondering what you thought, being that this is your genre, um, you know, the arts. And so, yeah, um, yeah, you, you and Dr. James have a lot in common in regards to that. So I was just wondering. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, and thank you're welcome. you for being an everyday peacemaker. You know what show comes to my mind? Um, Downton Abbey. Um, I, I don't think I've seen a better show on television. I was so sad yeah. when that show <laughs> went off. So, But thank you again, and thank you for being an everyday peacemaker. Enjoy your day. Um, yeah, so I, I hear that a lot uh, from people, too, that maybe because they don't have as many shows, they're not as rushed to put out um, product as and maybe they don't consume as much product uh, as as we do here, whereas, you know, we're 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're looking for something new and coming out rapidly, and the series are pretty short. So maybe they don't have all of those uh, handicaps there. But I, I do hear that people really enjoy the um, television shows and the movies and stuff that come out from, from there. And what, one thing I did see in the show, too, and we're going to talk about this, is um, the... In your movie, you talked a lot about uh, the political situation that's going over there. And I guess the riot or the, the protest, if you will, started out over just gas prices initially. Was was that what it was? Right. Right. Yeah. So um, basically, uh, it was uh, the height, the, the high, raising the, the, the gas prices across the board 
to um, create more income uh, for the you know for the government to do its programs. And the problem with the gas tax was that, in just like you know, I think in the U.S., um, it affected people who could not afford it. So instead of you know instead of taxing people according to what they could afford, they just went across the you know it was it was a gas tax. So anybody who got out onto the road and had to had to work for a living and was barely able, you know, I think, I think in your, I think that low income, low hourly wages, it's, it's way different here than it is in, in France, but they're struggling with that too. So struggling to pay their bills. And then when they get this, when the, the government forces gas prices to go up because of the gas tax, um, the French just said, no, this isn't going to happen. And so they began these massive protests. I think, I think, uh, I think there was over a hundred thousand protests across France, um, in different towns, um, that basically were united. And, um, within, I, I don't know, within a few weeks. Now I'm, I, I, I might be getting this wrong, but within a certain period of time, uh, Macron said, okay, I'm taking the tax away. No more tax. Yeah. So, and I don't know yeah, the period then, of time, but yeah, it did go away. Yeah. And then they continued. Um, they continued with just a general, um, you know, a general unfairness in wages and a general unfairness in the, the price of day-to-day living and, and, and everything else that was increasing um, people struggling to just pay groceries day-to-day and to live day-to-day just like we're struggling with here. Um, so, yeah, so then that continued with, the, you know, that continued on with many, a, a much longer list of complaints. Yes. And then mixed in with that, there were, some people say there were some bad eggs, um, sort of like the riot, sort of like the looters here that were um, basically uh, going along with the protests just to do some looting and to cause trouble. So then there was a whole, there was that whole dynamic as well. But um, I saw that throughout the film. And one thing that I appreciated was how, you know, they say rioting is the language of the unheard, right? Because, you know, unseen and unheard, because there's a group of people who are unseen and unheard until they cause some disruption in the main system. And so they did that. And I was really amazed with, how effective it was. I mean, the tax was uh, taken away. And so a lot of people that I watched the film with both different sets of my friends, ones from the healthcare community and then others from the arts, creative arts community, and both sets picked up on the same thing that here when the protest started out and it had a direct aim, this is what we want. We want you to repeal yep. this tax and then we'll, <laughs> we'll go back to peace. We all know that that didn't happen. Yep. It was very clear. The objective was very, very clear and they got the results. And so 
you know, started comparing it to what, what we have going on here and looking for, comp- uh, uh, and I'm sure you probably had this discussion with other people who've watched it, looking for clear objectives in, when you're protesting. Yep. So that was one thing that we saw then. But then we also, uh, I had people mention, and you sort of mentioned it too here, when the protests continued beyond that, I wondered if the, if the government then said, this is what you get when you give in to anarchy. Right. Because we've shown that it can change. Anarchy can produce change. But now we just got, you know, believing that, oh, now we want to we're going to change everything by using this force. Every time we don't get what we want, we're going to use this type of force to get it. it. And and now the objective doesn't really seem to be that clear. That came across to me in the film, too, that people just really weren't clear on what the objective is now for the protesting. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, um, I must admit, I, you know, there are gaps in my understanding, especially because I don't, I don't speak French. There were some gaps and that was what was so interesting to hear from different people. And I mean, there were those, as you saw in the film that said, you know, um, now it's just, it just seems like a waste of time and people just like to break things and it's just, you know, it's just fun for them to go out and do. And then other people were like, no, no, no this is a true expression of their feelings and um, you know, they're going to be heard. And it's, it's even if it's not uh, clear, um, you know, like the rabbi said, you know, it's, it's, it's time for, you know, the, the, it's time for the people that are in power to recognize that, um, you know, they have the people to reckon with and that they need to be more fair. Now, yeah, it does get muddled at, at one hand, and some people say, well, that's just the nature of it, but that doesn't mean you should stop, you should get in the way of the protest. So, yeah, it's, it's, it can get, it, there's a gray, there's gray area. I'm not sure where I stand on that. Um, definitely, there's a point where it becomes simply destructive. Um, and then, but then again, um, when we have, just when we have governments in place that, have destructive uh, tendencies, <laughs> then, you know, it, you know, destruction, I guess, begets destruction. I don't know. It's yeah, a tough, it's a tough subject. So, but what I think you did really well in the film is really showing how um, there was this tolerance and a, a freedom of being able to say, I, I don't understand the clear, I'm not clear on the objective, but I understand the need to protest. And I thought that was lovely that that came across in the film that people really did admit that I, I'm not really sure what the objective is now, but I understand the need. And right. that touched such a, you know, such a human part is like, I, I understand there, you know, someone talked about how technology had overtaken the jobs and there were no jobs. And so even though you don't really know what's going to come out of the protest, you understand the need for the person to be heard, to be seen. Right. So expressing I, an expression of pain and anger. Um, yeah. That, that they're just beautiful. expressing it. Yeah. yeah. And I got that throughout the whole film. Um, I got that throughout the entire film that the people that you interviewed, uh, this creative uh, group community, was the acceptance of the full rainbow of emotions. And, you know, someone said, you come to Paris to suffer. And I thought, well, how romantic is that? And you may say the same, you, you may say the same thing about New York until you actually have to do it. 
right? Right. And it, but it's just beautiful that to know that you know this acceptance of the whole array of emotions is possible, and we can take all this in in the journey. Now, what is the one, or maybe there's more than one takeaway that you want the audience to get from some other Paris? Um, you know, I think that my what I attempted to do was um, allow people to speak for themselves um, and get enough people and enough diversity um, of people speaking that the viewer of the movie could come up with their own final decision. So rather, rather than now, I know it's impossible to uh, make a film completely unbiased. I mean, these are most of these people were my friends, um, and uh, so you know, there's a whole, uh, there's many other sides to Paris, and maybe that's why I called it some other Paris because it's it's one other, it's one side of Paris. Um, because there's there's a whole nother there's a whole there's many different levels going on you know there's there's um, the trouble with with there's the immigrant population and their struggle there and there is you know there's the class the struggle and stuff like that which I didn't touch on a whole lot but what I really wanted to do was portray um, Paris in such a way that the viewer could come away with their own decision as to what Paris was and whether or not it'd be something that they would want to go experience for themselves or just learn, you know, um, I guess just learn, just open people's eyes to something other than the Champs-Élysées and the shops and the croissants and the fa- in the fashion industry, <laughs> something else, you know, see another side of Paris. So. I think you did that very well too, because that's really what I did when I went. <laughs> and <laughs> but I think you did that very, very well to uh, to show us the the other parts of Paris, the the heart, uh, maybe even the underbelly, if you will, of Paris. This just this was really the soul of people who were in there day to day. And um, I happened when you said that thought about the man who said that. Uh, he wanted to encourage you one day, and he said, "Well, you know, you come to Paris to suffer." And then he said, and then he's, <laughs> "He's laughing when he says it." But then someone else mentions about how gray it can be in in Paris. Sometimes, the, you know, the uh, the sky can be really gray in color, and how you can find beauty in anything. And that I think will come across very, very strong in the film as well. Is that? The situation in itself doesn't need to be beautiful for you to find beautiful in it. And that's, yeah, that's beautiful. That what, yeah, I, <laughs> that's I a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, that, I mean, you know, I'm so. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm um, so appreciative um, of your take on the film because um, you know somebody can say, "Oh, it's a great film. I liked it," but the, all of the things that you're saying um, are really why I made the film. So it's so encouraging um, to hear to, this, this interview has been, it's just so inspiring because I feel like somebody got it. <laughs> I mean, believe me, I've gotten a lot of great, I've gotten a lot of great reviews and, and, and comments about the film, but um, I'm just so happy 
that uh you know uh some that that you've you you appreciate it and you appreciate all the nuances of it because that makes me feel like i that you know Kara and i we we accomplished what we wanted to so it's very encouraging to hear amazing filmmakers and i wanted to say for our listening audience too that this is the type of film if you're having a great day watch this film you're gonna have even a better day but if you're having one of those (laughs) days where you're just questioning like why to everything you know we have those days you know what is going on why am i here god what is watch this film and it will i guarantee you you'll be able to sit in your situation in your chaos in your disappointment and you'll be able to smile because you'll be able to see that yeah there's there's there is beauty in the gray sky there is beauty in the and we didn't talk about this but you know this not being able to totally fit into your society because that was a lot a theme that came up a lot in the film was people saying you know i really don't i've been here for a while and i feel like i'm still on the outside and the in the periphery of this thing and i like it i like it right i like to be right. you know and and so in our lives and i know we're running out of time but i really want to tie this into those of us who are not filmmakers or those people who are not filmmakers it's okay to feel as though you're running on the outside of things and you're not a hundred percent in on the mainstream there's beauty in that experience too and i i know that in everything you can find a message for you to cling on to. So if you're having that experience, and right now during this pandemic, I'm hearing that from people feeling like, you know, well, I don't really know. I'm I'm so unsure. I'm so uncomfortable with uncertainty. This film will help you to find beauty in uncertainty, beauty in being what we call the misfit, right? And just being on the outside of things. I'm so grateful to you, James, for making this film and for you guys saying yes to three months, yes, eight years <laughs> in Paris and just starting to take your first French class on the last two months of your, of your journey. Because <laughs> it all speaks Well, to I you. thought, you know, I thought that was going to, you know, at that point I thought, okay, we're here eight years. We're probably going to be here the rest of our life. And then four <laughs> months later, we're, we're in Chicago. So. You're in Chicago, and you're open to it, and you're open to it. So this is Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. We've had a wonderful time today talking with James Jewell and his wonderful film, Some Other Paris. For Everyday Peacemakers, we make every day full of wholeness, full of peace. We accept what is, and we become creative in our own way. I thank you so much for showing up today as an Everyday Peacemaker. I absolutely love you. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.